Welcome to the IMS Expert Insights Podcast. My name is Teresa Barber. We're so excited that you've joined us today. At IMS, we provide consultative expert services for the most influential global firms. Through our work, we are routinely connecting with the brightest subject matter experts and the sharpest attorneys with unique insights from interesting fields and matters. Today, we're speaking with an expert from our network who specializes in aerospace engineering, Dr. Magdi Atia. Dr. Atia is named inventor on three U.S. patents, has authored works featured in publications including Engine Air Magazine, has served in senior engineering roles for brands including Westinghouse, and is currently professor and associate chair of Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University's Department of Aerospace Engineering. With more than 25 years of experience in the field, Dr. Atia holds both a PhD and MS in mechanical engineering and a BS in aerospace engineering from Texas A&M University. He's also a recipient of the prestigious George Westinghouse Signature Award of Excellence and has conducted research on topics ranging from large engine transportability and auxiliary flow tools to innovative conceptual designs for thrust reverser engines. In today's episode, we'll discuss the importance of problem solving for aerospace engineering and his experience as an expert witness on patent and complex commercial litigation. Thanks so much for joining us as we dive into today's expert insight. So how did you know that this career was out there, that this area of study was out there? How did you even navigate into this? Um, Did you have a moment as a kid where you were building a, a propeller and light bulbs started to go off? So that's a great question. Uh, the short answer is I didn't. I didn't know that it existed. But uh, coming to school, I, I always wanted to be a doctor. And uh, my uncle, my late Uncle John, uh, he, he uh, talked to me and said, uh, listen, uh, why don't you try aerospace engineering? It's, it's really the future. Why, you know, we, have, we have enough doctors in the family. Try that. It will uh, I think you will like it. You're you're good at math. You you have an engineer's mind. So I did. I um, I trusted him, and he was um, he was a professor of chemistry at the university where I went to school. And um, I I followed his advice. And for the first couple of years, I was trying to find where to land. And then I took a class. Uh, that is an introductor, an introductory class to the um, uh, the jet engine. It was jet propulsion, and it just uh, a switch was flipped, and I and I fell in love with the with the science, and I decided to continue on to grad school in that particular area. So I got my master's and PhD in um, gas turbine engines and propulsion. That's great. Um, that's really interesting. Would you would you say uh, your uncle was a bit of a mentor? Did you have any other mentors who kind of helped you navigate earlier in your career? He he gave me some really good advice, and I'm I'm going to be forever uh, thankful to him. Um, I did have a couple of mentors during my career. Um, the first one was the was the former dean of uh, of our college, and um, he he really taught me to listen. He taught me to listen. He said, you know, as an expert or as someone who is skilled in his field, the tendency is to start talking. But whenever you feel the urge to talk, just just listen first and make sure that you understood everything and everyone. And I, um, I really 
appreciate him for teaching me that. Um, the second one, um, he was really my mentor from a distance. And from him, I learned to just never burn a bridge, no matter what. Um, if, if you really have absolutely nothing good to say, then, then so, don't say anything and just never, ever burn a bridge because you never know when you're going to need to come back that way. Good advice. <laughs> Good advice. Probably especially interesting too, you know, now working as an expert witness, I'm sure. Um, so one, um, you know, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, that has really emerged. I mean, we've seen fits and starts of education policy reform over decades. Um, but, you know, especially in the last five years or so, we've seen a, a reemergence of especially um, those core areas as a national imperative calls from groups like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, National Association of Workforce Boards. We even see, you know, Girl Scouts of America embracing robotics and engineering um, with badges for for kids. Um, And then a lot of uh, corporate corporations are embracing it as well as part of their corporate philanthropic efforts, companies like Boeing and Accenture, um, IBM. Um, and we, and we know that it's a bit of an imperative. So for kids, you know, for kids out there who may not have had the uncle John who had that moment, that conversation with you and said, Hey, maybe look over here, look this way. Um, you know, may not have the mentors or the family members who are engineers. Um, and they may not know those careers exist, but maybe they do. What would you, what would you say to, you know, a 10 year old, a 12 year old who might have a lot of aptitude in math, a lot of interest and natural abilities for engineering, uh, what would you tell them to do or look for? Well, that that's a great question. Uh, in short, STEM is the future. STEM is the future. We as a nation will only survive and remain competitive if we excel in the STEM areas, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. And I, as you know, uh, Teresa, I'm also a professor at Embry-Riddle University. And I was really flabbergasted. Uh, We just finished the semester about three weeks ago and I was really flabbergasted with one of uh, the students in my class, a graduating senior. He he came to me after the the semester was over and to shake my hand. And he said, uh, you know, I'm here because of you. And, um, you know, I I started getting defensive. It's just my job. He said, no, 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 you, you don't understand. You came to my class when I was in fourth grade and oh, wow. and you brought engine parts with you and I became just enamored with the technology and I decided to come to this university and uh, become an engine, spe- specialized in engines. And he was, el- he was actually in the same fourth grade class with my oldest son. Uh, so it was, it was really, and I had, you know, of course, I, I couldn't remember him from, from that long ago, but... Uh, it was a really uh, um, inspiring, uh, inspiring moment. But going back to um, the importance of STEM, it's it's really the future. And as we move forward, especially the area of aerospace, uh, it is the one area where I say we are still the leader um, in the world by a mile. And when I look at uh, the graduate schools in aerospace engineering, I find students from all over the world still coming to the United States to study 
uh, STEM and particularly aerospace engineering here in the United States. And so for anyone interested or even thinking, if you think you are good in math, if you like solving problems, if you have uh, three-dimensional uh, tendencies, you really should consider engineering. It's a great profession. It's a great job. It's very stable. You will always have a job. You will always enjoy your job. You will always be working on very, very interesting, you know, cutting-edge uh, technologies, cutting-edge vehicles, uh, uh, airplanes, engines, rockets, uh, satellites. Uh, it's just super cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what are the careers of the future for, for aerospace engineering? Where's the, uh, where's the industry heading in five years? What kind, of, what kind of problems will aerospace engineers be solving? Well, we are really um, working hard to get a, uh, a strong grip on the proliferation of computers in aerospace vehicles. So the airplane is really no longer an airplane. It's a flying computer. Hmm. Engine is not really an engine. It's a, it's a computer that produces thrust. There are computers in everything doing almost all of the function and controlling uh, the flight vehicle, controlling the engine, controlling everything inside. So um, I don't know if I said the word computer enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 really, it's really the future. As, as you are aware, um, the uh, Boeing 737 MAX accidents, uh, tragic as they were, uh, it was a computer. Mm-hmm. It was a computer that did it, whether it was uh, programmed uh, correctly or incorrectly or what happened, uh, but it's, it, it started and ended with a computer. So I would assume then you, don't, you have to keep, you have to keep, um, you have to stay curious and you have to keep evolving and learning with your field, especially... That- that's true for all engineers, but it's particularly true if you want to be an expert and if you want to be an expert witness. Mm-hmm. You cannot stop learning because you are on, on the cutting edge versus other experts always looking at um, the latest technologies and how they might be applied. You're always coming face to face with the smartest people in our industry in terms, whether it's uh, opposing expert witnesses or you are reading patents or you are reading um, publications, you really, you really have to be on your game. And in order for you to be successful, you have to continue to learn, but you really have to love learning. If you just do it just to do the work, it's probably going to get old after a while. You really have to love learning. And if that's you, uh, you're, pro- you're probably going to be a very successful expert. What do, uh, what do you, in particular, Dr. Atia, what do you most enjoy about working as an expert witness? Well, I love, I love learning. And um, in my work as a professor, there is the tendency to always give knowledge and to always present and to always be in front of a class talking. So the time that you get 
for yourself to read and to learn may not always be there. So uh, being an expert witness affords me the opportunity to learn. I have to read and I have to familiarize myself. And it's great because every time I think I know something, I, I read a patent or I read uh, a slightly different way of applying the sciences and I'm always learning. And I'm really always, I always find myself very impressed by engineers of 40 or 50 years ago, what they were able to come up with without a computer. I think about it, the, the, the first, the first Boeing uh, 727 and the first engines that powered it were really designed without the benefit of having uh, the computers. And uh, I have nothing but respect um, for those engineers. And I'm always looking to, to learn from them and just to think how they did it and what were they thinking, uh, what, what knowledge they must have had to be able to come up with this without, uh, without a computer. And I'm very impressed and I'm, and I continue to challenge myself to be, uh, to be a worthy, uh, expert. Yeah. How, um, how did you how did you first get engaged as an expert witness because it's and it's a little bit different right so you know as a professor as a subject matter expert you know functioning as an expert witness is a little bit different how did you first know that that was even a thing and how did you first uh, get engaged get involved well, again, again, I didn't. I just got this phone call out of the blue. An attorney had uh, found me on the list of faculty at the university, and they had a uh, an aircraft crash, and they needed an engine expert to be a witness for the defense. And he just picked up the phone and gave me a call, and we started talking, and I find myself becoming uh, very, very interested in what he had to say. And I it's almost like a homework problem that I hadn't seen before and I wanted to solve it. And, and it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's been like that ever since the, the next engagement with, uh, with IMS that's been going on for several years now is uh, IMS found me on LinkedIn. So th- that's something that I should say to anyone out there who wishes to be an expert is make sure your LinkedIn profile is solid because you never know who might be surfing and looking for an expert. And if, and if you have the right stuff, you might get that phone call. That's great. Um, and with the, the litigators, so the litigators you've worked with um, through IMS and independently, um, what's made those projects successful for you? What, um, what, what's made for really good, you know, kind of effective engagements on those projects? Well, first, uh, I just want to say that I have a lot of respect for patent attorneys. I've done most of my work with patent attorneys and I have nothing but respect for them because every month they just have to be an expert at something completely different than the month before. So they're, they're really some of the smartest people that I've ever worked with. Yeah. Yep. But what's really been a key success factor for me is um, what, I, what I learned from my, uh, from my mentors in that experts tend to want to talk. I mean, that's the expectation. You know your materials and the, the expectation is you're going to talk and disseminate knowledge. And as an expert witness, you really should try not to do that. 
you really have to be a good listener and to understand the problem and to understand that you are part of a team and you are there to do a specific uh, function, especially during a deposition. There is the tendency as an expert to just start talking and not stop. That can be a mistake. The other thing that makes for for a good uh, engagement with attorneys is you cannot over-prepare, especially litigation cases, especially patent cases. There is a ton of material, uh, prior art, and you really need to do your homework and you really need to do it uh, thoroughly and you need to read every word and pay attention to every word. I really learned from my work on patents, the importance of the word. I mean, I I thought that I knew uh, propulsion, but the importance of every word and how it can alter the sentence and how it can alter the case or make or break uh, a certain question or lead to a successful deposition versus a disaster is if if the expert thinks, uh, well, I, I know... I know my business. I really don't need to read all this prior art. That's a mistake. You need to prepare. You cannot over-prepare. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, number three is uh, always always be on time and always be on time and uh, always be prompt with your replies. Um, sometimes there's long periods where you are waiting for the other side to take action. But when they do, you have to be ready to respond very quickly because the courts uh, do not give you uh, infinite amounts of time. There's a limited amount of time Mm -hmm. and you need to respond to the attorney's questions very quickly so they can understand it, refine their understanding by by asking you questions and then get back to the other side. So you can't uh, can't be slack. You can't can't take your time. You got to be very quick and very prompt. You have to prepare and you have to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, so we at IMS, um, we do work with, you know, we work with top subject matter experts who have been engaged previously on complex commercial litigation on multiple matters. We have experts we've worked with for many years. Some have been engaged on and retained on numerous matters, sometimes with the same attorneys. Some are really experienced, but we also do um, you know we do work with and connect attorneys to subject matter experts who you know were like you sitting in your office, no idea that you know at some point you might be engaged as an expert witness so for and and we know that some of those brand new experts or SMEs or first timers are some of our listeners. so what advice would you give to an SME who is considering um, you know, and maybe expert witness work is not for everyone, right? So what, but what, what advice would you give to um, someone who is considering working as an expert witness for the first time or is, has just been engaged on their very first matter? I would say, number one, um, be very attentive to what is being said and what is the nature of the problem. Um, very often in litigation cases, you are just a small part of a team. Don't try to take over. Don't try to put everything on your shoulder. Don't try to win the case by yourself. Just the attorney is the boss. You are there to help him understand something very specific. Just if you, if you focus on that at the beginning, that will 
uh, boost the attorney's confidence in you and through multiple engagements you will you will get better with time and understanding what it is that they need and how you can help but really i cannot stress enough uh just don't try to put the whole case on your shoulders and don't try to just go in a deposition and thinking that you're you're going to win this case for them that could be a huge mistake that's good thank you i know we have a lot of new first timers who would um, enjoy hearing that. Good. Um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, for just general feedback on IMS too. I know you've worked with us for a few years now. Um, what What would you say? Um, you know, what's been? And I don't know if you've worked with other search firms or you've worked independently, but um, how has the experience been working with IMS, working with our team? I've worked independently, but IMS has been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what really struck me is the expectation that the client had when I showed up, and that, that their expectation that was that IMS always was able to bring them the best. So it was, you know, mm-hmm. set the bar kind of high. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was really... Um, proud to to have been the IMS envoy uh and and I think the relationship has really uh blossomed I was initially engaged just to work on one patent and I'm I'm now going on number 12 it's been almost 4 years and there's talk of uh quite a few more to come so I don't see an end to this engagement in the near future that's great <laughs> yep yep good good well, I think um, I think those are most of the questions I have for you. Is there anything that you want to touch on that we didn't maybe we didn't we didn't bring up? Well, with respect to IMS, I felt that they've really simplified the process. It's um, it's not easy for an expert to and to just go out there and advertise themselves and, and find such engagement. Uh, it's, it's really not as easy as, as one might think. So signing up with IMS has been a very smart move uh, on my part. Um, and really IMS's ability to handle all the supporting functions and just uh, let you do the sciences and not have to worry about invoicing and uh, did I get paid last month or didn't I and how should I go about uh, politely asking these kind of, you don't have to worry about that. Just just let IMS handle it. They're, they're good at it. They know what to do. They know how to do it. And you just focus on the technical side. So that's been uh, a really, really big uh, positive in the relation. Um, other than that, I just want to say to anyone out there who's interested in being uh, an expert uh, witness or uh, just a, a consultant, uh, it's great work. It's great work. It's it's very invigorating. Uh, every case is different. Uh, you're not just turning the crank. Uh, you don't get paid to do slam dunks. You really have to do your. You really have to do your homework. You really have to prepare. Um, you're you're coming up against the best, so you need to be the best. Um, it 
it is it's a bit of a, a little bit of a roller coaster uh, but if but if you enjoy that kind of life uh, there's no place uh, better than to start with IMS that's great thank you Magdi I, I you brought something up I wanted to um to ask you about, because I know you've, you've testified, you, you talked about, you know, preparing for deposition before. How important is it as an expert to speak? Um, you know, because often you're, you're communicating really complex topics and concepts sometimes, right? And it can get a little convoluted. It, you know, um, the wording can even be complex sometimes. How important is it to be, to be clear, to use simple language or to communicate um, in a manner that can be understood by, let's say, a jury? I, I couldn't I couldn't stress that enough. You could very easily lose your audience uh, if you're not careful. Um, it's all about the planning and the preparation. You have to prepare. Most attorneys will offer to sit you down and to prepare you by having some practice questions so you can practice your answers. By all means, take advantage of that. You cannot prepare enough. It's great. Thank you so much to Dr. Atia for taking the time to talk with us and share some really useful and interesting perspectives into the evolving field and industry of aerospace engineering. In our next episode, we'll dig a bit deeper into the state of STEM and the impacts of aerospace innovation on complex commercial litigation. At IMS, we're honored to connect our clients with the experts and expertise you need. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast above and check out our other resources at our website, www.expertservices.com. If there's a topic or a matter you'd like to learn more about or see featured in a future podcast episode, reach our editorial team through our website or by email at editor at expertservices.com. Thanks again for joining today. We look forward to sharing more insights with you next time in the IMS Expert Insights Podcast.